0: So last week uh, we started a new series about all of grace is amazing and if you remember I told you that came from Albert Outler who was a, a scholar over at Perkins School of Theology and it really gives a good picture about what God's grace is. All of it is amazing. You know uh, we sang earlier your grace is enough. And I don't know about you but, but for me I, I can't imagine Life without God's grace. I I, I can't imagine going through life not knowing that that I had God holding me in his hands. God God there being present in my life. God God pouring out this grace of love that, that, that we hold on to so dear and deep. And if you're familiar with, with, with God's grace, uh, and even in uh, Methodist terms, there, there is usually three ways that we talk about God's grace. We talk about it in pervenient grace, and justifying grace, and sanctifying grace. We talked all about pervenient grace last week, about how pervenient grace is that grace that goes before us. Before we even know who God is, God pours out His grace on us so we may come to know God and uh, we may come to feel the love that God has for us and, and that, that draws us to God. Today, we're going to talk about a fourth kind of grace. Not really kind of grace, but a fourth aspect of grace. A, and and that, that aspect is called convicting grace. Uh, maybe one that we haven't really heard of so much, but, but it comes between provenient grace and justifying grace. So as we prepare to hear God's word and as we prepare to move into this time together, I ask you to go to God in prayer with me. Let us pray. We pray in the words of the hymnist Fanny Crosby. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Oh God, as we move further into this series, as we explore the many different facets of grace, and how that grace is available for each and every one of us. God, we ask that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. You know, Fanny Crosby is one of my favorite uh, hymn writers. She, she has written several different hymns that, that we're, we're very familiar with, but this particular one, it is a hymn that, that lives and breathes convicting grace. And, and what I mean by that is that, that she sees, she knows that God is there, available and present for her, but then she says, God, pass me not. I, I want you to see me. I, I want you to receive me. I want you to accept me in, in all and who that I am. I, I want your life to be my life. That is convicting grace. That is convicting grace that allows us and remembers us to say, as the title of the sermon, what just the facts are. The facts are that each and every one of us, I don't care who we are, we are sinners in need of God's love and forgiveness. There's there's been stories and and there's been played upon uh, of people saying, well, I'm not that bad of a sinner. I'm not as bad as what other people are. Well, we'll get into that a little bit later. But no, we are all sinners in need of God's love and grace. (laughs) Being Methodist, being Wesleyan, we uh, take a look at what John Wesley says about some of these things, and the way that John Wesley would talk about grace, he would use an image of a house, and I have a picture of a nice opening doorway to a house up here, and and the way that John Wesley would talk about it, he would say that repentance is the porch of the house, faith is the door, but holy living is the house itself. So, so repentance is the porch to the house. When you get to the door, that is faith to allow you to go through that door. And we go through that door so that we can fully live in the house that God has prepared for each and every one of us. But if we talk about it in terms of grace, this is how we would kind of divide this out. Provenient grace. The, the grace that comes before us is that grace that invites us to come to the front of the house. It it, it draws us so we see that there is something there that we're missing, that that, that there is something calling us, there's something wooing us, there's something that invites us to be a part of it. But that convicting grace is the actual stepping onto the porch making that decision, saying, you know, I, I want to be a part of God's grace in my life, and I, I need to start moving forward, and the only way that I can move to fully live into God's grace is to step out on the porch that God has us and repent of the life that I once have lived. That is the convicting grace. Justifying grace, which we'll, we'll talk about next week, that is the door. That is making that decision to walk in through the door. And sanctifying grace is the living in the house, living fully in the place that God has given us to dwell in His love and in His glory and in His power. As I said, convicting grace comes after pervening grace, and it comes before justifying grace. It it is a grace that that we can fully live in and respond. It it helps us to move into a direction to where living in a right relationship with God is possible. It's taking the opportunity to say, God, I know that I need you. I need you in my life. I need you to guide me and to lead me and to to, to give me your grace and your love, and I want to continue to move forward within that grace. Jesus gives us a picture of convicting grace and a scripture that we normally hear when Jesus talks about the giving of the coming of the Holy Spirit, and, and I think sometimes when we listen to this passage we, we think about the advocate which the scripture talks about, and we immediately turn to what that means, and we fail to think about how the Advocate helps us remove the sin from our lives. So our scripture for this morning comes from John chapter 16, and verses, we'll be reading verses 7 through 10. We'll have the words on the screen for you to follow along if you would like. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So so what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying to those who he is talking to and he's saying to us today that maybe our view of sin is a little misguided. Maybe we're so busy thinking about the acts of sin that we don't really think about what the root cause of sin is in our lives. Sin is, is, is an action, but, but, but the, the root and the cause of sin are those things that, that makes us off-kilter, if you will, that, that, that makes us not fully living in the life that God has called us to live. Matter of fact, sometimes I think we like to kind of judge the different sins that we have in our lives. And we say things like, well, at least I'm not as bad as as that person. Well, in my opinion, I think that is one of the reasons why crime dramas, court shows, and things like TMZ are so popular. It's so popular because we can take a look at all of this other stuff that's out there and go, wow, I am just so glad that I am not like that at all. It's like the Pharisee and the sinner and that I know that I've talked about before in a sermon that, that is there giving up their offering, and, and the Pharisee is there, oh, I am so glad I'm not like this sinner that's over here, and I am so much better, and God, you're just going to bless me and give me everything that I want because I am so much better than another person. And the sinner just bends down by himself and says, God, have mercy on me because I am a sinner. See, what convicting grace does, it helps us to get rid of something that's called sin management. What I mean by that, well, if I do this right, if I do this right, if I do this right, I'll be fine. If I make sure that I, 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 I show up to church on time, if I make sure that I participate in a Bible study, I, I, I bring my uh, can of uh, grape jelly to our daily bread food pantry. If, you know, I, I, I tell somebody that it's great to see him on a Sunday morning. All of those type of things. If I do those little things, then I'm going to be absolutely fine. But see, that's sin that's management. That doesn't get... To the deep root and the deep causes of our sins. James Bryant Smith, who is an author, wrote a book called The Good and Beautiful God, and in that book he wrote this. There is only one thing that separates us from God, and it's not our sin. It is our self-righteousness. Our self-righteousness does not turn God from us, but us from God. It is not my sin that moves me away from God. It is my refusal of grace, both for myself and for others. The the, the self-righteous attitude that we as followers of Jesus Christ must overcome is that what convicting grace enables us to do. I think we have to get comfortable in our brokenness. We have to realize that we are are broken people, that that our lives are not the lives that God originally intended us to live. Another author by the name of Diagnos Allen, he wrote in his book, Finding Our Faith, human sinfulness at its core is the attempt to make ourselves the center of everything, and we try to draw others into orbit around us. We, we, we try to say, well, everybody needs to make sure that they, they fit into my reality or, or what I think the world needs to be revolved around. And we think about if we have everybody doing what we want them to do, life is going to be fine. But here's the truth. It will never be fine. Because if we always place ourselves first, we will be last. If we always try to place ourselves higher than other people, we will always be made to brought low. One of the examples that I was thinking about through Scripture of how we could talk about this is an example that we use on Good Friday. And it's the example of the two thieves that are on the crosses besides Jesus in Luke chapter 23. And what I mean by this is that Jesus is there hanging there between these two thieves, and, and he is he is suffering and he is dying. And and the one of the thieves starts to hurl insults upon Jesus. And he says, Look, if you are who you say you are, why don't you just come down from that truth and, and then save us as well? Pull us off of, of, of these crosses too, so that we can then live. What's his attitude? What, what's his thought right there? He's not thinking about Jesus. He's thinking about himself. Well, God, how can you make sure that I have everything that I want? How can you make sure that I can be taken care of? How can you make sure that, that I get everything that I deserve? Well, the fact of the matter is, he was getting what he deserved. That's why he was on the cross. That's why he was dying. That's why he was being executed, because of the choices and the decisions that he made. But he was wanting to use Jesus for his own power and for his own good. Then we go to the other side of the cross. And there's the other thief that rebukes the one on the other side, saying, How dare you talk to him in that way? And the only words that he can say to Jesus is, Remember me. Remember we, me when you come into your kingdom. Not, not get me down off this cross. Not, not make sure that you, you, you make life a whole lot easier for me. But just remember me. Remember that I am here confessing to you that life is not the way that it's supposed to be. That I have done wrong. I have sinned. But well, the great thing about this whole picture Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'll remember you. Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus isn't saying that i am just going to remember you and go, well, I'll, I wish you well in, in, the, in the afterlife. No, you're going to come with me because you have this convicting grace in your life to know that you have done wrong. You will be with me today in paradise. And unpacking paradise is just a beautiful picture. It's not just allowing him to hang out at the gate, which is what the thief wanted. But God, is, Jesus is saying, you are going to be with me in the midst of heaven, experiencing the goodness of God. So what is it that convicting grace helps us to do? Well, convicting grace allows us to see how broken we are. And my friends, that is a a word that is counterculture to what we hear in our society today. Our society tells you if you do this, if you do that, if you get this, if you buy this, if you have this in your life, if if you do this particular thing, you are going to be set. But see, all of that ignores the root issue. All of that ignores the problem that we have. It's not a sin problem. It's not something that we can manage or or take care of. It is a heart problem. And convicting grace allows us to see, God, I know that I am broken. I know that I am in need. I know that there is absolutely nothing that I can do on my own to make myself right, I need you. I need you in my life. Once we have that opportunity to see how broken we are, then the second part of convicting grace comes in, and that allows us to see that we are called to live a life that has the mind of Jesus Christ in us or as Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians in the second chapter, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross." So I don't know about you. When we think about convicting grace, we think that we have to be down about that or we have to be upset that we have to, well, I have to say that I've done this this, or that and I have to get rid of things. But no, it is a joyful thing. It is a joyful thing to say that we are broken. It is a joyful thing to say that we need God to make us right. It is a joyful thing because then we as God's people can then say that we are putting on the mind of Christ in our lives so that we can welcome all people into a loving, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Convicting grace helps us to turn and helps us to see the light of eternity in a new way. So on our way of salvation, we are being drawn daily into God's love and grace. On the way of salvation, we experience that grace and then we we take a look at ourselves. We take a look at ourselves deeply and say, God, how can I take what you have given me how can I manage things and make sure that I tick off each opportunity to make sure that I'm right, but how can I make my heart like yours that has given yourself as a servant to allow our brokenness to invite us to the door, to invite us to the door that God has invited each and every one of us to walk through and receive his grace fully in our lives. Let us pray. Oh God, sometimes we don't want to be convicted. And I say that because sometimes in our lives we just want to keep living our lives how we're used to living them. We want to make sure that we are the ones on top. We are the ones who have the power. We are the ones who have the authority. But that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus isn't finding a way to make sure that we're right and everybody else is wrong. The way of Jesus is stretching out our arms in love bringing those who do not know you into the love and grace of our Savior Jesus. The change, the inside of our lives so that we may radiate you on the outside. So God, as we continue to live in your grace, pour that grace upon us so that we may be whole, we may be full, and we may may be your light. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.